James is a challenging book uh, to preach through and, and for a number of different reasons. But let me just talk about two reasons why it's such a challenge. The first reason is this. We be- break up the book in passages and sections that we can preach from and teach from. And so uh, we've been breaking up the, the, the passages and preaching them and going through them. Our small groups have been studying these passages in the, the little chunks and that's a good way to do it. However, when you do that, you miss some of the great big picture of the whole entire book of James. And so when this letter first came to the early churches, they would take out the whole letter and they would read it all. And so they would get the faith without works is dead, chapter 2. They would get the imperatives, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. They would get all that, the law type, the heavier commands. But then they'd also get to the end of the letter, chapter 5, verse 16, 15 and 16. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. They have the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, right there in that same letter. And so we can be um, short-sighted if we don't recognize that the, the church would take the whole letter in one chunk and not just in pieces. And so that's a challenge. The second challenge is, is because of our audience so we have some of you here who are Christians and you're newer Christians and you're, and you're growing in your faith and, and, and man, what you really need is to be encouraged in, in your walk with God and you need to be lifted up and you need to be um, pressing forward in your faith and in your knowledge of God. And then there's others who are here and you might not even be a Christian or you consider yourself a Christian but you're in the church um, but you're far from God and you're not living the way that God's called you to live and you need to hear the, the full weight of, uh, of the book of James and you need to be shaken to your core. That's where you're at. And so we have all of these different places where people are at and we come to the book of James and, and we just got to let the text speak for itself. We got to let the Holy Spirit, God, speak um, through the preaching of his word, and that's what we're here to do, and I'm excited to do it with you. So let's go to James chapter 4. We'll read verses 7 through 12. I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's word. James 4, start at verse 7. Reading in Jesus' name. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask that you would be our teacher. That you would, Lord, have your words remain. And anywhere that my words would come in, they would be forgotten. But that you would change us to be more like Jesus. So do a work in us, we pray. That we might leave here today challenged and encouraged and blessed by your 
goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The ten imperative verbs in this text clearly signify that James is issuing an urgent call to his readers to repent from their ungodly behaviors described in the preceding passages. So this is a message on repentance. The anatomy of repentance. Verses 7 through 10 have 10 verbs in the Greek and also in English, imperative verbs of what we are to do. And in the immediate context, it has to do with um, chapter 4, not causing quarrels, not being a friend with the world, but actually the end of chapter then 3, worldly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom. So there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to us, but it's, it's, it's not the right way. That there's, there's God's way and there's man's way. There is worldly wisdom and there's heavenly wisdom. What is heavenly wisdom? Just to remind you from before chapter 3, we see in the text that we're called to live pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's heavenly wisdom. Sounds a lot like the fruits of the Spirit that we're called to put into practice as Christians. Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But what is worldly wisdom? You see, worldly wisdom at the end of chapter 3 what we're going to be called to repent of is this idea of jealousy and selfish ambition. It's also called earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Jealousness, selfishness, the way of the world. What we can do in the church, a lot of times we can look outside of the church and we think the worldly wisdom, well, that's for somebody who doesn't know anything about God. Uh, that's for somebody who doesn't know anything about Jesus. That's for somebody who's lost and they're outside of the church and they're, they're gone. And... But it isn't interesting that James is writing this to the church. He's writing this to believers. He's calling believers to repent of a worldly wisdom. Some of you here today, you've grown up in the church. You've grown up in the church and you've done the right things. You listened to the right music. You had the right friends. You went to the right Bible camps. And you grew up with this idea that God owes you. God has to give you a certain kind of life and God didn't give you a certain kind of life or something happened where God let you down. God failed you and now you are far from God. You're here at church, but like the people in in Isaiah's day, You acknowledge God with your lips, but your heart is far from him. And you need to hear a message about worldly wisdom as well, that God is in no man's debt. So God does not owe you, and yet you are a partaker in worldly wisdom of jealousness, of selfishness, that you would repent from that. And so this is going to be a message of repentance. So the person who is repentant, here we go, number one, submits to God. 
submits to God. Submission means the action of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. Okay? Do you accept that there is a God and that he is above us, that he is higher than us, that he is more powerful than us? So submit yourself, therefore, unto him. Now, what is the therefore, therefore, in the text? The there is, therefore, is there, referring back to verse 7, but God gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So since God gives grace to the humble, therefore, submit yourself, humble yourself to God. Submit yourself to this superior power, the superior person, the Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, submit yourself to him because God gives grace to the humble. The captain of a ship looked out into the dark night and he saw some faint lights in the distance. Immediately he went to his signalman and he said to send this message, alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly a return message came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored, so he sent a second message, alter your course 10 degrees south, I am the captain. Soon another message was received, alter your course 10 degrees north, I am Seaman Jones, third class. Immediately the captain sent a third message. He was angry now and he sent a message that he knew would strike fear into whoever he was talking to and he said this, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. God is a superior person to us and he has called us to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to him. The people being baptized today were doing this. They were coming into the waters of baptism and say, hey, I'm forsaking my way. As I go into the water, I'm dying to myself, and I'm raising up to new life in Jesus Christ because he died and gave his life for me. And so I'm raised to new life in him. I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me, Galatians 2.20. And even though they might not understand and we might not always understand God's ways, we acknowledge that God's ways are higher than ours ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great are God's thoughts above our thoughts. And so we are going to trust in him because of Jesus Christ and we are going to submit to him for all of our lives. That's why we celebrate with those being baptized today who have submitted to the Lord God Almighty. So when you submit to God, you, number one, place yourself under God's authority. Well, what does this practically look like? Well, you heed all of God's word as true. Heed all of it as true. Now, not all of Scripture is created equal. There are some parts which are more applicable than others, but all of Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. And we can't, hear me, loved ones, we can't pick and choose what we're going to believe and submit to. 
We were talking in my small group this past week about this very question. And, um, and I just shared with the group that there's some parts in the Bible that talk about homosexuality as a sin. And I don't struggle with homosexuality. So it, for me, I, I can talk about that sin all, all day long because it, it's not a really a problem for me. But there's other parts. And sometimes it's listed in the same place as homosexuality. There's other sins that I struggle with. And we can't be people who just pick and choose that which we have an easy time with and, and, and preach that real hard. No, we, we preach the whole counsel of God's word. We can't be Jeffersonian Christians. Andrew Jefferson had his own version of the Bible. He took the Gospels and he cut out the, the parts of the Bible that, in the New Testament that were miraculous about Jesus and he came up with the Gospel of Jesus, a, a moral code of living, a moral way to live. We can't do that. So practically, when we place ourselves under the authority of God, we, we place ourselves under the authority of God's word. Secondly, we reject worldly wisdom. And thirdly, we embrace heavenly wisdom. We already spoke about this at the beginning of the message. We reject the earthly, the unspiritual, the demonic doctrine of our day, and we embrace heavenly wisdom. The fastest growing religious group in our country is atheists, atheism. And so the likes of Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and the, the late Christopher Hitchens would scoff at the, at the notion that there's anything supernatural. That what you see is what came about by chance and the razor's edge that we live on on our planet is just by chance and that you're silly and you're in need of a crutch if you need to embrace the idea of God. But we do because of Jesus. And we reject worldly wisdom. Fourthly, we re resist the devil. We resist the devil. Now the devil is not on the same par as God. Does everybody agree with that? Right? It's not God here and the devil here and they're fighting over uh, dominance. You know, the devil is a created being. He's a fallen angel. But he is more powerful than us. But we read in the text a wonderful promise. As we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And so a person is who is repentant is submitting to God and part of that submitting is submitting to the ultimate authority and then when another authority, because the devil is stronger than us, he's more powerful than us, but when he comes and tempts us, when he comes to deceive us, we resist him and the promise is that God, who we submit to, will strengthen us, will protect us, will keep us, that the devil must flee. Resist the devil. And he will flee. Maybe you're facing a temptation this morning. Maybe you're facing a sin that's so hard to deal with. Maybe whether it's an addiction, whether it's a, an issue of forgiveness that you have to forgive someone and it's so hard and they've hurt you so deep. Whatever that sin is and that Satan tempts you in, remember this, loved one, that resist the devil and he must flee. Resist him. And then, fifthly, we draw near to God. When you submit to God, you draw near to him. You draw near to him. 
As a kid, I remember memorizing this verse in a different version. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Jesus said it this way. Come to me, all you who are weary and a heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11. Go to Matthew chapter 11 in your Bibles, if you will. Matthew chapter 11. I want to take a pause here and in dealing with all these imperatives I want to speak to some of you who have felt really weighed down by the by even the, the sermon series in James you feel, feeling beat up feeling like you can't ever measure up and uh, in the study of the book of James you felt like there's so many imperatives and how am I to do them all and I, I can't quite do them all and I'm a, I'm a rotten Christian and you're getting this, this sense when you draw nigh unto God he draws nigh unto you and I want to encourage you this morning with this truth. Jesus says this, verse 28 of Matthew 11. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The gospel is good news. Jesus did that which we could not do for ourselves. He paid the penalty for sin. And we, as we put our faith and trust in Christ, we receive from him not only the forgiveness of Jesus, but we receive his righteousness so that when we stand before God, we stand forgiven and cleansed and holy in spite of our sin because Christ bore our sin. And so let me encourage you this morning that there's a difference between the conviction of sin from the Holy Spirit and the accusations of the devil, of the evil one, okay? There's a difference. And I wanna help you to identify the difference because we can be oppressed by the enemy, by Satan, and think that we're we're being convicted of sin. And so we wanna be careful that we, we get these categories correct, okay? So go to John chapter 16, And let me encourage you with this. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, which is a good thing. Jesus, in speaking of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, started verse 7, he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will speak not on his own authority, But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit's mission, his purpose, the person of God, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, what he does is he convicts of sin, 
You see that there? He guides us into truth and he glorifies Jesus. Three things that the Holy Spirit does. Convicts us of sin so that when we do wrong, we have a conviction that I have sinned against God, against others. But then the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. The truth is that there's forgiveness of sins, that we repent and we turn from our sins and we can be forgiven. There's a truth and we can be freed from that sin. That's truth. And then the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, pointing to Jesus all the time. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. In 1 John chapter 2, we read this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is the truth, that if you do sin, you have a propitiation for your sin, a sacrifice for your sin in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. So the Holy Spirit convicts us, but he guides us into truth while pointing us to Jesus. The devil doesn't do that. Hasatan is Satan's name. Literally means in the Hebrew, the accuser of the brethren. When the devil comes along and accuses us, we have some different things that are going on. It's a guilt that leads to shame, that leads to hiding. That's what happens when the devil accuses us. It's not the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember the Holy Spirit convicting, guiding into truth, and pointing to Jesus. The devil, when he's accusing us, it's guilt, it's shame, it's I gotta hide this. And some of you here today, and, and you've, you've heard some of these passages in James, and you're like, I'm never good enough. I'm never gonna live up to all these things. I can't do it. And maybe you were raised in a home where you heard that all the time, that you're not good enough, that you can't measure up, that you can't live up to the way that you're supposed to. And, and you hear these things and the devil comes in there and says, you can't do those things. You can't live up to those things. You can't live up to God's expectations. So why don't you just give up and quit trying to live this life this way? It leads to shame. It leads to hiding. It leads to covering up. First John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin and we have fellowship with one another. Walk in the light, get in the light. That's where the Holy Spirit brings us when he convicts us of sin. The devil wants us to stay in the darkness. So he accuses and we feel shame and we feel guilt and we keep it in the darkness. The Holy Spirit convicts points us to Jesus, guides us in all truth, and exposes the darkness. And so you want the devil to lose his power over you? Resist the devil and walk in the light. That's where the power is. But as long as you're going to hide it all the time, because you don't want to tell anybody about that thing, right? You don't want to tell anybody about that sin that you're struggling with. What, what will they think of me? What will they do about me? Will they even talk to me anymore? But, but God says to walk in the light. And when you walk in the light, the devil loses his power and he runs from the light. And you walk in the light as he is in the light and the blood of Jesus cleanses you from sin and you have fellowship with one another. And so be encouraged today. It, the Holy Spirit is going to convict us in the book of James, but he's going to convict us in a way that guides us into truth and points to Jesus. The devil wants to come and bring us guilt and shame that leads to darkness. Martin Luther, he said this, 
When the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is there, I shall be also. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The person then who is repentant submits to God and secondly, sees the ugliness of sin and the glory of God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your heart, how you think, your disposition towards sin. Cleanse your hands, what you do. And then he goes on, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. James isn't saying this just to make you a sour person. He's saying be serious about your sin. Be serious about sin. Sin is not something to be considered. It's not something to be tolerated. It is not to be played with. And yet we, don't we, sometimes have such a lackadaisical attitude towards sin. We can be tempted to have an antinomian view. Big word that just means this, that God's grace is going to forgive us anyway, so just live the way you want. That's not the gospel. We're not saved by how we live, but we live because the way that we live is informed by if we're saved or not. And when we love Christ, when we see him more clearly, we're going to live for him. You don't want to have this idea, well, just do my thing and go about my business. I happen to bump into sin, big deal. God will forgive me. James is saying, your sin is serious. See your sin and see the glory of God. This is a big deal. And he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. See, there's hope even in that these verses here that would seem gloomy, they're not gloomy. Because when you humble yourself, when you get low, God's going to exalt you. Uh, my brother was a Navy SEAL uh, for uh, nine years, I believe. And, um, and every time I preach, I have to tell people that my brother was a Navy SEAL and then somehow I hope that they think that I'm that tough. Um, uh, I'm not. But uh, <laughs> um, that's my brother right there. Uh, in the foreground with the gun. Uh, the guy in the back is the, was the interim prime minister in Iraq. I think this was 2004. And my brother was a security detail for the prime minister. And, uh, and so it was a pretty, pretty cool position if you don't mind possibly dying, okay? And uh, my brother and his buddies, they were ready to do that uh, for us, uh, which is cool. And uh, actually one of my my brother's friends just recently died. You probably saw it in the news, Navy SEAL. Um, but what a responsibility, what an exaltation, really. This was in Newsweek, uh, this photo, um, uh, which was pretty cool to see him there. I know uh, scary for us as family, especially my mom, but uh, um, it was pretty cool. But he didn't go to this job after he signed up for the Navy, Right? He went to the Navy and he went into boot camp. And then after boot camp, he went into BUDS training. 
basic underwater demolition SEAL training. And during that training, he, they, they, they punish you and, and physically and mentally, and, and they're trying to break you. And then you have a week that they call affectionately Hell Week, where uh, for the whole week you really don't sleep. Um, you're just pressed to the limit. Um, m- big chunks of people uh, ring the bell at that time. If you go and ring the bell, that means you're done. And you can go inside and get some food and go to sleep. Um, but for those who make it through the cold, if they keep you cold the whole time, through the pain, they make you run all the time, everywhere, crawl everywhere, swim, uh, carry uh, logs, and carry a 300-pound boat on your head with six other guys, and it's pounding down. My brother has neck problems today from, from all that. But if you make that through, they, 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 they bring you down low. So you buy into their system. Now lots of guys will be brought low. They'll be, they'll, they will go so low that they'll, they'll break and they're out. But for those who make it through, those who humble themselves, they can be exalted, be lifted up. And he got placed uh, where few people ever get to serve with high responsibility. It's the same for us. That we would come before God and, and humble ourselves and get ourselves low that uh, I'm not God and his ways are higher than my ways and I'm thankful that he's shown me the way through Jesus Christ and because he had, I see that my sin is ugly, I repent of my sin, I turn to him, I get low and then guess what? God's gonna exalt me and God's gonna use you. He's gonna use you for his glory here on earth. Think of that. Think of that. For those of you who are just baptized this morning, God's gonna use you for his kingdom. God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, use little old us to, to bring the message of salvation to somebody who needs to hear it. That you could be part of somebody's eternity. That you could share the words of Jesus with somebody. Their life could be changed for all of eternity. Think of that. Groups of people, your neighbors, loved ones, that you're part of Village Bible Church where people are being saved all the time and kids are growing up learning about this Jesus and, and that you get to work in his kingdom. God will exalt you. And at the end times, you're seated in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ himself. That you will be like him at his appearance, the scriptures read. This is awesome. And so we are thankful for the work of God in our life. Then I wrote this down. Our sanctification doesn't happen by just trying harder. No, we grow in holiness when we see Christ more clearly. You don't have to go to it. Let me just read you 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we, beholding Jesus, are being transformed from glory to glory, from one glory to another. When we see Jesus, and that's that's what we're doing, why we're doing what we're doing right now. I'm talking about Jesus, so that you would see Jesus more clearly, that you would understand Jesus more deeply, and that as you understand him more deeply, you would love him more deeply, and you would live with him more strongly. And as you view Jesus, as you see him, as you pray, as you study the scriptures, there's a point to all that. It's not just so you can be a good Christian, it's not so you can follow the rules, it's so that you see Jesus and know him better so that you grow in him more. 
And when you see Jesus in all of his glory, that then your sanctification begins to flourish. That's why we make much of Jesus, because there is much of him. And as we do, as we see him, we grow. So we've already talked about this. This is serious, and this is a humbling experience. Repentance always is. Thirdly, one who is repentant speaks not as the lawgiver or judge, but as a recipient of God's grace. That's verse 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another. Do not judge one another harshly. When you do, you become God's law. When you do, you take the place of God. You become the judge and the lawgiver. There's only one of those people, and it's the God Almighty who can save and destroy. Remember, he's the lighthouse, not you. You might even be a battleship, but you're not land. And so when you be careful when you speak to and when you speak about others, James is not dealing with judging per se. Rather, he is addressing evil speech and consequently evil hearts because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when we speak harshly about or to a brother or sister, it reveals our hearts and our hearts are wicked. And so be careful how you speak. The concern is really the motives behind our judgments. What's behind those words? We had a great discussion in our small group this past week about motives. See, if we're practicing worldly wisdom, the motives behind how we speak to somebody else in in the church or out of the church, but in the church, if the motive is selfish, if it's out of jealousy, we can speak in such terrible ways about somebody or to somebody. Because we're walking in the world, worldly wisdom. But if the motive is love and it's heavenly wisdom, so then we can speak into somebody's life who's allowed us into their life and we can speak the truth, but yet we speak the truth in love. The question is motives. So what are some takeaways today? Let me give you three, okay? Let me give you three takeaways. The first one is this, that you would change your thinking. You are not God, and God does not owe you. Okay? One of the big critiques from people outside the church and some in the church especially as you think about evil because evil does exist is this cry against God is why is God not fair why is he not fair but if we're honest we wouldn't want God to be fair would we we deserve judgment punishment for our rebellion We weren't just born into sin. We practice it, don't we? So change your thinking about God. God doesn't owe you a thing. God in his mercy and his grace has allowed you to be here today to hear about repentance, which is a gift from him. 
change your thinking. Number two, that you get serious about your sanctification. About prayer, about the word, about accountability and how you speak to others. Get serious about it. This is a serious work. That's why those scriptures in James are there to to turn your laughter into mourning. It's not just a command that we would be um, Christians who are never laughing or happy. I mean, if you come to our church any day, you see our staff, we're laughing a lot. And there's a lot of good things to enjoy in, in life. But when we think about the reality of sin and we think about the reality of our rebellion, we want to we be serious then about our salvation. And God saves you and he calls you to be like Jesus. So take seriously the times that you have in prayer. Take seriously the study of God's word. It's because in those times you see Jesus more clearly so, so that you might grow more deeply. And then third, that you would fall in love with Christ. You view all that he is and what he has done and then that would fuel your walk with him. Fall in love with him. This past week, I was honored to do the funeral for my wife's aunt, so my mother-in-law's sister. And in the funeral message, I talked about the two greatest commandments that Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your might and strength and soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then we talked about why love God, why? And I said, because of who he is and what he has done. But it's hard to love someone you can't see, isn't it? Now God is revealed in a lot of different places, in our relationships in the church, in the testimonies of lives, lives that have been changed, in, in, in the evidence of creation. We look around, we can see the evidence of God, but it's hard to love someone that you can't see and that doesn't speak to you audibly. So how do you have a, a relationship with someone that you can't see? When I was a kid, I had a, a fort outside. My brother and I, down the road, we lived out in the country, down the road from where we lived, there was a woods and little forest area, and we had our fort there, and we'd play and like to be there, and I was really little, and I remember um, getting two sticks, uh, and I got the two sticks, and I got by myself, and I was over by myself, and I put the two sticks down, and I said, okay, God, um, I, I, I believe in you, but uh, I, I need some help, okay, and I know this is not hard for you, um, I'm put these sticks like this. Can you just move the two sticks? And I waited a, a few minutes, and, um, and I said, "Okay, God, I know you don't need more time, but uh, I'll give you a five more minutes if you can, if you can just move these two sticks." And God didn't move the sticks. But then I grew up, and I heard about Jesus, who died on two sticks for me. He died for my sin in my place and rose again. So I love God for who he is and what he's done for me on Calvary. And because of that, I repent of my sin and walk in him.